Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, career coach one and author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my right fit method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. A key component of my right fit method is passion, our career fuel, the impetus and foundation of career success. My guest today, Janelle Rapp, is soaked in passion. But passion is not enough. Janelle and my other guests know how to harness their passion. They compete with themselves, raising the bar higher and higher. They excel in managing the process and walking down the right fit road to reach their goals. They know how to recognize right fits. They know how to recognize wrong fits. They know whether they can fix or not fix a wrong fit. They know when to walk away. They assume responsibility for their successes and failures. They say to themselves, it's all up to me. Throughout my own career as a medical school dean to heading a $60 million education program at the National Institutes of Health, and as the founder and CEO of Barrow Global Search, Inc., I have observed that figuring out right fits is extremely difficult for many people to do. As a result, they continue taking the wrong fit road and wonder why they are in wrong fit marriages, wrong fit careers, or wrong fit homes. The solution is simple. Stop asking who is the best and what is the best. Stop comparing and contrasting. If all your choices are wrong and you pick one which you designate as the best, you made a wrong choice. Picture a barrel of rotten apples. They're all rotten. Grab the best one. What do you have? A rotten apple. To learn more about my Right Fit Method, continue listening to today's show. And after the show, visit winwithoutcompeting.com to read excerpts from my book. On to my guest today, Janelle Rapp, music iconoclast. I will interview singer-songwriter Janelle Rapp, who, according to the International Music Connection magazine, is one of the top 50 iconoclasts of the music business, alongside the Eagles, Lil Wayne, Robert Plant, and many more. Janelle has five solo CDs that have received national airplay. She is currently working on her sixth solo CD entitled, Are We There Yet? She has shared the stage with John Waite, Sophie B. Hawkins, Stevie Wonder, Sandy Patty, The Yardbirds, Nickel Creek, 
Eddie Money, Rick Springfield's band, The Squirts, Susan Gibson, Dixie Chicks, Lowen and Navarro, Loudon Wainwright III, James Valentine of Maroon 5, Tyrone Wells, and Ronnie Cox. Her music has been featured in the television shows America Lost and Found and Eliminate in Karen Black's play Missouri Waltz, the Henry Jaglum films Going Shopping and Irene in Time, the documentary 800 CDs, and the film Costa Rican Summer starring Pamela Anderson. Janelle founded Gina for Missing Persons Foundation after the disappearance of her sister Gina in 2000. The Gina Foundation was featured twice in the Grammy Awards program along with Janelle and numerous contributing artists including Meatloaf. Annually, Janelle takes her band Clementine on the Squeaky Wheel Tour which is a 19-day event beginning on Gina's disappearance date and winding down on her birthday. Janelle is considered an expert on call for missing person cases featured on national TV shows such as Nancy Grace. She was the host of America Lost and Found and co-hosted the CRN's digital talk radio live from Studio C Street. The TV show, Finding Gina, about Janelle and her band Clementine, is under development. It's a reality series about a band on the road looking for one of their members' sisters, and in the process, they meet the families of the missing to help them to gain immediate attention for their loved ones. People are found and Janelle will be the host of the show. Janelle is the author of 30 Days in a Life that chronicles a specific 30-day period in her life. This book not only gives you a view into the day-to-day -day life of this uniquely driven woman, but brings to light how her sister's disappearance has created life lessons and changes she would never have experienced otherwise. I will uncover how Janelle's passion for music has inspired her to turn tragedy into a mission for helping others. Welcome, Janelle, to Win Without Competing. Thank you, Dr. Arlene Burrow. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. This is amazing. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Where did you grow up, and what did your parents do? I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, my father was a mechanic and an inventor, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. You are the oldest of seven children. Yes. What was your home life like? And I'm sure our audience is chuckling because I expect seven children. It might have been. It must have been quite a busy, noisy environment. Was it? It was very noisy, and our vacations, because we were so poor, um, ended up being uh, driving the car and singing, so we were all very musical, and um, we all learned how to sing harmony or play an instrument of some sort. Were your parents musical as well? Right. My father plays the guitar, and uh, a Hawaiian guitar, and a steel guitar, and the stand-up bass, and my mother plays the accordion and clarinet and all kinds of things. Harmonica, she carries them with her everywhere she goes. So even though you were poor, it sounds as if it was a happy home. Well, it certainly was, and it was certainly lively all the time. Um, we, we learned a lot about music, that music can fill a void um, when there's no money. <laughs> well, I'm gathering that music was the uniter of the family. Oh, definitely, definitely. You had a sister, Gina. Yes. Tell us about your relationship with her as you were growing up. My sister Gina is 15 months younger than I am, and 
she is the complete opposite of me. We're like polar opposites in looks and actions. She was very outgoing. She walked into a room and lit the room up, and everybody knew she was there. And if they didn't, she figured out a way to make sure that they did know she was there. And I kind of liked to blend into the woodwork, didn't want to cause any trouble, didn't want to make any waves, and, and just I was the shy one about the fact that you were shy. I know that when we talked before the show, you mentioned it to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought what was fascinating is that you had no problem getting up in church and singing. Well, when I was three years old, I sang for the first time in a Christmas program, and I remember that moment like it was a snapshot. And I just looked out at those people and I knew exactly what I wanted to do at that moment. And even though I was, I was extremely shy, I used music to get me up there on the stage, or music got me out there. Um, I was just so motivated to sing that I wouldn't let my shyness stop me. So in essence, you wouldn't allow your music to distract you. Your passion was so strong. It carried you, am I correct? Yeah, it's um, my passion's really like breathing. I've always felt like that. It's it's, it's like I uh, I have to do it. I have no choice. Now, at age eight, you became a songwriter. How did that occur? And what really did you feel you wanted to say to those listening to your music? Well. I had, when I was three years old and I started singing, and that year I started begging my parents for a piano. And with all those kids, there was no piano to be had. And when I turned eight, my parents happened to move to this small little town outside of Lincoln. And at the same time, my father got very ill with hepatitis, and my mother was sick as well, and so neither one could work. And um, my cousins decided to give us their piano that year. Well, I still couldn't take lessons because there was no money, but this lady down the street would give me lessons for free or for 50 cents, whatever my parents could afford. And as soon as I learned that first chord on the piano, I started writing music. And for some reason, as a little girl, the first time when I sang in church, I felt that my music had to do with helping people. And I I looked for a way to help people my entire life through music, whether it was in my lyrics or by partnering with a nonprofit or something. I, I knew that it had to do with helping people. Do you know why at an early age you wanted to help people? Did you see your parents helping people? I did see my parents helping people. Even though we had seven children of our own, my parents took in foster children, and um, they volunteered for a lot of different groups. Um, They did a lot of work in the church. And my father was also an itinerant minister, and so on the weekends he would go from church to church, and he would take his daughters, his little singing group, and we would be the musicians for the day. You were almost like the Jacksons. (laughs) A little bit, maybe. Terrific. Alongside Nebraska Senator Bob Kerry, Lincoln Northeast High School honored you as a distinguished alumnus. Tell us about that. Well, Northeast just has this tradition of honoring anybody who's distinguished that has graduated from that high school. And it just so happens that Bob Carey went to my high school, and they honored me as well um, because I had some involvement with the Grammys around that time frame, which is in about 1999. And I also know that you wrote a song entitled Sea of Red. Am I correct? Yes, I did. I Tell did. us about that. I'm sure our audience would love to hear about it. <laughs> well, if anybody knows about Husker football, uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers um, are the football team. They are God to Nebraskans. And on Saturday afternoons, when it's a football day, the entire state turns red. And I grew up in Lincoln, which is where the university is, and that city is red. <laughs> and so I just grew up with that sea of red, and even though all we could afford was a black and white TV, I could look outside and see that red everywhere. 
And what was the song about? The song was about growing up watching that black and white TV, but yet knowing that I was growing up in a sea of red and living in a sea of red. And it's about my love for Nebraska and my love for the Husker team. And they've used that that song at some of their football games um, during the halftime or um, at the at the initial officiating moments. They might use that song, and they play it on the radio back there. Do you think they still play it, Janelle? They do. They do, oh, periodically. Mm-hmm. That must be gratifying to you. Oh, it is, especially because it was just so exciting growing up in that state because I just thought the Huskers were everything. I didn't think there was any other football team. <laughs> well, it sounds like you were really a fan and still continue to be one. Oh, yeah. At 16, you were graduated from high school. What did you do next? Well, I was determined to graduate early because I was so passionate about music. I just wanted to get out there and do something. So I went to college in Minnesota, and um, I was just determined to find other musicians so I could join them and be in a band. I was so shy I didn't want to be in a band. You know, I didn't want to be a solo artist, so I knew that I needed other members. And uh, so that first year I was able to find a girls group to join, and there were four of us. And out of that girls' group, three of us actually graduated a year early. What I think is interesting, too, is that your parents really didn't want you to go to college, but the pastor's daughter was going to go to Minnesota, and the pastor convinced your parents. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, well, after I went through all the trouble to graduate early from high school, my parents said, oh, oops, you're not going to college. You're too young. You need to stay home until you're 18. And, of course, I was very disappointed after all that hard work to graduate early. And then um, the pastor's daughter found out about it, and she was going to college in Minnesota. So she talked to her dad, and he talked to my parents. And they said, you know, we're going to take them up there. They'll be together. They'll take care of each other, and they'll be roommates. And so it all worked out, and I was able to go to college. At 19, you sold your first song. Yes. What was it, and how did you feel? It was called Jesus Mold Me. Obviously, it was on a Christian album. And I, I was just stunned that somebody would want to use one of my songs, and especially somebody that was older than me. You know, I just, I just couldn't imagine that. I thought my songs were for me or for when I performed, but the fact that somebody else liked one of my songs enough to perform it and record it, I just thought it was amazing. Do you remember what they paid you? I don't. I don't remember at all. Okay, so that didn't make the impression. It's just no. the fact that you sold it is what impressed you. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Well, when you Not about growing, the money for me. <laughs> yeah, so that you just want people to listen to your music. Is, would you say that, that that was the motivating factor? Yeah, I'm just very passionate about getting the music out there, getting what I'm, I'm dealing with in my life, getting a message out there of some sort, depending on what I'm going through, or just expressing myself. When your sister Gina disappeared, the year was 2000. Right. What were the circumstances surrounding her disappearance? Well, she was playing at an open mic night. She finished playing, walked out with her guitar at 1 a.m. in the morning, and that's the last she was seen. The following day, her car was found across the street from the pub. The trunk was slightly open and her guitar was inside. And to this day, that's really all we have. How has her disappearance changed your life? Well, first of all, I thought I would go home to Nebraska, look for her, find her, and then fly back home to California. And it didn't work out that way. I was there for three weeks. We did everything we could media-wise in that area. We flyered the entire city. Um, We had volunteers from all over helping us. But after three weeks, I had to get home to my family. And I came back home, and every day I searched the Internet for media, for answers, for help. 
And I knocked on every possible national media door to get attention for her, and they all said no. And they all said no because Gina simply vanished. She didn't have a scandal. She didn't have a suspect. And I was not a household name. And she was not a household name. And so, therefore, we did not have that media hook that some of the missing that we hear about nationally have. And there are 850,000 of those people that are missing every year. And out of those, 110,000 end up being ongoing active cases like my sister. And we only hear of a handful of them year after year. And I just felt like my sister was valuable and all of those other 110,000 people are valuable to somebody too. And I just couldn't sit there and say, oh, I don't know about this now. I don't know how hard this is. I knew I had to do something. How did you come up with the idea to create your own band, Clementine, to go on the road and to search for your sister and missing people? Well, it basically started in 2001, six months after my sister disappeared. I, after I had you know, done all of that research and knocked on every door, I was depressed when they had all said no to me. And I fell asleep in a state of depression. I literally, it literally put me to sleep, and I sat up in bed and just thought, you know what, I've just got to do what I already do. So I started asking my friends to put on events and profile missing people. And we called those Gina concerts that first year, and that turned into a nonprofit called Gina for Missing Persons Foundation. And then that nonprofit created the Squeaky Wheel Tour, which is from October 17th, my sister's disappearance date, until November 4th. And November 4th is her birthday, so for 19 days, we ask artists all over the world to profile missing people. And what happened is in 2000 is when we decided to start calling it the Squeaky Wheel Tour. Prior to that, we didn't really call it anything. We just tried to do a lot of events around that time frame. Well, um, we called it the Squeaky Wheel Tour, and the finale event was in Little Rock, Arkansas in 2006. And at that finale, there were about 80 families of the missing. We webcast the event. There were artists there from Texas, California, Florida, all over, we all congregated, several of us sang together, and there was a producer from Los Angeles, Jeffrey Casey, who was watching, and he saw us performing together, and he said, you guys have to become a band. And so we decided to become a band, and we decided to call ourselves Clementine, and we're a band on a mission. You're committed to finding missing persons. Right. How many have been found with your help? Since we started in 2001, collectively with all the artists helping our website, our different programs, we work with other nonprofits and law enforcement, almost 500 people have been found. Tell us a success story so that our listeners can visualize the significance of what you do. The very first year, when we had 13 events from New York City to Los Angeles, we asked each artist to profile a missing person, and we profiled 13 different missing people that year. Um, we asked the artist to take the CD that we had compiled, and it had 13 faces on it and 13 different artists. And we asked those artists to profile that missing person at their event and then ask people to look, listen, and pass that CD on. Three days after our New York City event, a young man, the very last young man that we put on our CD that year, missing from Indianapolis, was handed that CD in New York City, and he realized, oh, my goodness, my family loves me. They'll take me back. I better call them. I mean, that's an amazing story. Do you ever know what happened to him? I know he's still with his family. Um, he's still talking with them. He's, you know, still in touch with them. Um, it's a very good relationship. And um, as far as that, I, I don't know a lot. Do you know why he left his family? Did he ever confide that at all? I know it was a runaway situation, but not a typical runaway situation. There were some extenuating circumstances. 
Um, and it's, it wasn't his family pushing him out. It was outside circumstances. I see. Going further, you have a dual passion. The first, singing and writing songs. The second, finding missing persons. What has been the impact of the dual passions on you? Well, that's a really good question. I would say the thing that I've learned is that the answer arrives before the challenge. And if you can look at your life that way, you can kind of trace things back. You know, I was raised in this large family. I was the oldest girl. I had to be in charge of my brothers and sisters. I had to learn how to multitask at a very early age, especially the year when my parents were so sick and they couldn't work. They handed me the kids and said, here, you're, you're going to have to do a lot of this work and take care of your brothers and sisters. And from then on, I was kind of the second mom. And I realized that if I hadn't had that experience and if I hadn't had the experience of touring on the road with my different bands that I was in throughout college and after and touring as a solo artist um, and promoting my own CDs and, and doing press uh, and, and doing all my own PR, I realized that I wouldn't have had a clue what to do about my missing sister, what to do to help others. I would not have had a clue. So I really believe that if we look at our lives, the answer arrives before the challenge. Well, your parents prepared you to take charge to yes, what I is. refer to as manage the process. Exactly. To have enough confidence in yourself that you could find the solution. Exactly. They, yeah, they taught you that. It's very interesting that you do not sound at all uh, perturbed with them, that at an early age you had to take charge of the family because sometimes people are angry at their family when that occurs. You are not. You're grateful. Oh, I'm extremely grateful. Actually, when I was a kid, I thought it was fun. I thought, oh, playing with the dolls. Now I don't need the real ones. I mean, now I don't need the fake <laughs> ones. I have real ones, you know. That's terrific. So I, I thought it was very, great. It's wonderful how you responded. How do you make your career decisions? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I try to look at whatever the situation is, and I ask several questions. Is it going to support what my, what my dream is, what my goals are, what my mission is? And how much is it going to support it? And um, is it in line with my vision? So your vision, in essence, is a blueprint of the right fit opportunity. Would you say that's an apt description? Yes, I would definitely say that. That's excellent. When you write a song, do you compete with yourself or against others? I compete with myself. Um, ever since I first started writing, I always wanted to sound different or be different or use different words or different inflections or something. And I learned early on that competing just doesn't work. And when I was older, when I had moved out to California, I had a mentor, Nick Vinay, who said, everybody writes, everybody sings, but not everybody tells the truth. And it's the truth that touches people. And I realized he had hit it on the head. That's what it is. If you, if you dig deep and you find your own truth and your own whoever it is inside there and you're true to that, then there's absolutely no one who can compete with that. Would you say that each song has a specific message? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I um, early on, like I said, when I was three, I, I know it sounds weird that I remember this, but um, I remember just really feeling like, you know, if I was going to do music, it had to help people. And then as soon as I started writing, all of my music had to have an answer. I couldn't just leave this open-ended, oh, woe is me, my life is horrible kind of song. I had to wrap it up and have some kind of lesson. What is the impact of your music on your listeners? Wow. I don't know. I'd have to ask them, but, uh, you know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, for example, you know, if you're performing, mm -hmm. uh, 
do you watch their faces to see how they're responding to what you're saying or what you're singing, I should say? Well, I know sometimes that, you know, I do make people cry. Um, I make people, <laughs> the last concert I did in Michigan, which was a few weeks ago, a woman came up to me and she said, I feel like I've just gone to my therapist. <laughs> so um, I guess some people feel like they've gone to therapy <laughs> when they listen to my songs. Um, hopefully, you know, it makes them feel joyful uh, for some of them. Um, the goal is to be as excellent as I can be as a singer and a songwriter so that um, the message is heard. Why did she say that she felt she had gone to a therapist? Do you remember which song she was referring to and what the message uh, is? Let me think about that. Um, Because it is an interesting response to a song. Wouldn't you agree, Janelle? Yeah, well, I I kind of tend to write a little bit deep sometimes, and there's a there's a song. I'm pretty sure this is the one she was talking about. It's one of my new songs. that's going to be on my new album. It's called Very Fine Thread, and what it's about is it, I felt like I was hanging by a thread, and that if anything else happened, that that thread would break, and there would be nothing left of me. I was just, you know, it was a very um, challenging time in my life and as I was writing the song I realized that that very fine thread is what weaves in and out of my life and what really makes me what I am and if I use that thread and I manipulate that thread then I can become a better person and that's the whole song kind of envelops into Wow, I'm a, instead of being a very fine thread falling apart, I'm a very fine thread because I'm so fine. <laughs> I'm so fine. <laughs> I have a feeling. I have a feeling that you gave that listener insight into herself. That's why I believe that she said that. It's possible. It's possible. Well, the next time someone says that to you, probe a bit further, Janelle, (laughs) and let me know the response. I will. (laughs) You have successfully pitched your reality show and received a number of contracts. Yes. Yet, no contract has matched your blueprint of the Right Fit reality show. Tell us about your blueprint. Well, it's kind of, you know, what we were talking about earlier. This project is so precious to me. It's called Finding Gina. And it's so precious because I know how valuable my sister is, and I know how valuable that other people, other family members out there who have someone missing, they are to them. And just getting this show um, to the place where it can tell the stories properly is one thing, but then having a network and having a production company that completely supports our vision, and that is a vision to get missing people out there, their stories, whether they have a scandal or a suspect or whatever they have, but their story deserves to be heard regardless. And so with that goal in mind, I am very particular about who I sign with, and I want to make sure that people understand what it is that we are after. Well, I think it's really commendable that you're not rushing to jump into a situation which might make you unhappy as you would proceed. So I think it's very good that you have the blueprint of the right fit reality setting for your show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm just, you know, sometimes I hear voices telling me, no, no, you know, screaming in my ear when the contracts come. So I, I just know that it's not right. Not that I don't love having the contract or that someone's willing to go for it. but um. I think it's interesting about what you just said about hearing voices. <laughs> Seriously, I interviewed Sherilyn Kenyon, who according to Publishers Weekly, is the queen of the vampire novel. And she says that... When she's writing, she's always hearing the characters speaking to her. 
Oh, that's great. Isn't that something? That's well, great. obviously, you must have little people inside your head as well. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Right on the edge there. No. <laughs> Tell us about how you've pitched the reality show to sell it. How we pitched it to sell it. Um, we started out with America Lost and Found. That was kind of a news magazine show where we profiled three different missing people each week, and one person would have been found each week. Um, that aired on the West Coast for 24 weeks. And when we went to take it national, they said, you know, we like it, but we want it to be more reality-based. And at that time, uh, which was 2003, 2004, I wasn't sure how to make something reality-based when I didn't have the camera crew and all that and a production company and all the, all the money that was needed for that sort of thing. And um, so I kind of put it on hold, and then um, when Clementine decided to become a band, then we decided to tour. It just kind of all came together. We put two and two together, and Clementine became the reality series, this band traveling on the road in search of one of their member sisters, my sister, and um, we filmed it. And we filmed that first series in 2007, and that's what we've we've had offers for, is that particular series. Um, And since then, we've gone to tons of, I mean, I can't even count how many production companies we've talked to, as well as networks. We have received a lot of interest, as you stated earlier, uh, but we still haven't found the right fit. So. You will. You will. You need to. It's just, I mean, it doesn't matter in what area of your life, whether you're searching for the right fit spouse or the right husband or um, you know, the right house, the right spouse, whatever it is, uh, the right job. It doesn't much matter. Um, one should hold out so that you do really find the right fit. I, I agree. It's it's tough to have patience sometimes, but, you know, my sister's disappearance has really taught me about patience and um, what's important. And um, that's why I'm just so um, protective of this project. No, I, I think that's a wonderful approach. What website should our listeners visit to learn about your upcoming events? Well, they should definitely go to 411gina.org. That's 411gina.org. That's where we house all the faces of missing people, all the events that the artists do throughout the country, throughout the world. Um, And if you want to find out more about me and my band, you can go to janellerapp.com or clementineband.com. Would you highlight major events that we should be watching for? You know, not just in California, but across the country, because obviously uh, we're worldwide, and outside the country would be wonderful. Well, if you're in Australia right now, I have a top ten hit called Waiting on Lonely in Australia by an artist called Ronnie Ray Rivers. Um, so if you're over there listening, then you can you can check that song out. It's a great song. Um, and then I have a, there's a new movie, Costa Rican Summer, coming out. It was supposed to be out this summer, but it didn't come out yet. It's supposed to be out in the next couple of months. It's called What About? Well, it's called Costa Rican Summer. I'm sorry. And the song that I have that's in that movie is called What About Love. And then um, I will be participating in Ride for Their Lives, and this is the Surviving Parents Coalition. It's August 20th through September 20th, 2010. I know it's a ways off, but it's a huge event where two guys who lost their children to abduction and murder are riding their bikes, their bicycles, from New York all the way to Los Angeles to gain attention for their children and for children like their children as well as missing people. And Gina for Missing Persons is cooperating with them and helping helping them to set up events all along that way. That's wonderful. Yeah, we're very excited about that project. Your personal life. You're yes. divorced <laughs> yes. with two children, mm-hmm. boys. Right. If you were searching for a right-fit husband, 
what would your blueprint look like? Independent man, compassionate, giving, supportive. Allow me to be compassionate, giving, and supportive, and independent as well. Um, someone who's definitely not jealous. Someone who can handle um, me, because <laughs> I'm always out there in the public and, and doing a lot of things. Someone who's not intimidated by that. And I think that's it. Oh, a family person. Someone who really likes family. Balancing your professional and personal life. Many of my guests do not differentiate between their personal and professional life. Does this describe you, Janelle? Oh, definitely. I ha it has to blend. There's always so much going on that it just has to blend, and I have to find a way to, I guess, juggle it and blend it at the same time. So it's a, it's a constant um, learning curve to try to do that, but um, in order to keep all the balls in the air and going, it has to blend. Well, I think successful people are jugglers. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can see all these balls flying up in the air, and you keep reaching for them, trying not to drop any of them. Yes, hopefully we don't drop too many. <laughs> what personal advice do you have for our listeners? My personal advice, I guess, it's, it's probably the biggest thing I've learned from my sister's disappearance, and my father actually taught me about this before my sister disappeared, and that is when something happens to you, don't wallow. Don't say, why me, why me, but ask, what? What can I do about this? Because even when your, your kids are little, they tell you, don't ask them why did they do that. Ask them what, because why never gets an answer, but what does? And so when you ask, well, what can I do about it, all of a sudden it opens doors for you that you never would have opened if you had just sat and wallowed on the wise. I also see people who are depressed as wallowing within themselves. Would you agree? Yes, and I've been guilty of that throughout my life in different times. Different, um, But um, my sister's disappearance has... Not that I didn't break the habit prior to her disappearing, because I did a long time ago, but um, it really cemented the idea of, you know, wallowing in anything. It it just doesn't make it better. It never makes it better. I mean, not that we don't ever, you know, have a reason to be depressed, because certainly a lot of us do, but sitting in that depression, it's not going to make it better for us. We've got to figure out a way to pull ourselves out of it. Well, I interact a lot with unemployed through my executive search firm, Barrow Global Search, as well as through coaching unemployed, how to master my right fit method. And I've observed that those people who are not focusing on themselves, but focusing on how to take themselves to a new place, are moving happily without depression those that keep thinking about the past and what they are currently missing what they lost are not succeeding in terms of finding a new right fit position yeah i can imagine that's true what career advice do you have career for musicians well career or in general i mean you're, you're you're a very successful uh, singer and songwriter, you're propelled by passion, so clear, and you're soaked in passion. So clearly, that would be necessary, and for many people, difficult to find their passion. So, do you have any suggestions there about connecting with your passion, how to take charge of yourself? and move yourself along? Well, I think that taking charge of your passion or finding your, your passion is the first thing, obviously, that you've got to do. And if you can't figure out what that is, remember what you loved to do when you were a child. Remember what brought you joy, what made you blissful, what made you happy, and go there. And 
see if you can find some way to make a living doing that thing. And I know sometimes you can't find that right away, and you might have to work another job and do that thing on the side. But it's just vitally important that you find your passion first and then make a roadmap for yourself. Put your goal out there, your mission out there, your vision out there, and make steps to get there. And you're going to have to revise the steps as time goes by. It's it's like if I was going to take a trip from here to New York or here to anywhere, and I'm on the road, and all of a sudden there's road construction. I've got to take a detour. Well, it's going to take me longer to get there than I wanted, than I had planned. But I'm still going to get there. I still have the plan. I can still get there. And life is like that. There are always detours. But you just have to keep your eye and your heart in the passion. With respect to the detours, I talk about divergent thinking and in Win Without Competing. And I think that we all have to be aware that there are many ways to achieve a goal, many ways to achieve an objective. And we need to be very flexible to change our direction as we need to. And I think you expressed it very well. Yeah, I think you have to almost be like a Gumby um, and be willing to bend and twist and be a gymnast. <laughs> so That's true. Yeah, you, you just have to be willing to if, if you want to reach your passion, you know. And well, I think it's a combination. You need to be a juggler and a gymnast, <laughs> both. This is going to be a tough life, Janelle. <laughs> I'm changing the title of my album, The Juggler and Gymnast. <laughs> yeah, Juggler and Now, 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 do give me credit for you, but Juggler uh, and Gymnast. Yeah, but I mean, it is a good, it's a good title, don't you think? Oh, yeah, it is, yeah. and it's true. Anybody yeah, that, who, who reaches that, success has had to do that. Absolutely. Janelle, you are a win-without-competing woman. You are soaked in passion. You know your core identity. You compete with yourself, raising the bar higher and higher. You understand right fits. You manage the process to achieve your goals. You have mastered the art of the pitch. You think outside the box. Thank you for joining me today. And I want to want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. My favorite holiday, so I'll have a great it's, one. It's my favorite holiday as well. Oh, really? Yes. That's great. And yeah, I just I've always loved Thanksgiving. Yeah. I also want to thank those people who have sent me emails sharing their missing person stories and how you have helped them through your passion. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them out there. There certainly is. As you found out, they clogged up your email box. Well, they clogged up, but that was all right. I was busy reading then, and I must say, I was I was amazed to, to be truthful about it. Absolutely yeah. amazed. Yeah, I, I do hope that you will stay in touch with us and keep us posted about your successes. And I do hope that you will come back soon in 2010. Great. I would love to. And thank you so much. I hope that this does a lot of good for those people out there that are waiting to hear. I hope so as well. Upcoming shows. Next Wednesday, we will not have a show. I want to wish all my listeners a happy Thanksgiving. Please join me again on Wednesday, December 2nd at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guest will be Dennis Meredith, the King of Scientific Communications. He is the author of Explaining Research, which Oxford University Press will publish in 2010. On December 9th, I will interview Mary Beth Garber, 
the president of the Southern California Broadcasters Association, who has been named as one of the 20 most influential women in radio by Radio Inc. She has received this honor every year for the past 10 years. Archive shows. To listen to archive shows, please visit drbarrow.com, that's drbarrow.com, and click on the date of the show description that interests you to connect to Blog Talk Radio. I suggest listening to Ann Edwards, celebrity biographer, Pulitzer Prize nominee, Sherilyn Kenyon, New York Times bestselling author and queen of the vampire novel, according to Publishers Weekly, Suzanne De Laurentiis, award-winning filmmaker and head Suzanne De Laurentiis Productions. On October 9th, I conducted a special call-in show, What is Your Assumptions Quotient? And then I recommend Billy Lowe, Celebrity Hairstylist. I would love to hear from you. Please email me, D-R-B-A-R-R-O, that's Dr. Barrow, at winwithoutcompeting.com or call 310-441-5305. That's 310-441-5305. To learn more about the Right Fit Method and my book, Win Without Competing, Career Success the Right Fit Way, visit winwithoutcompeting.com. For information about career coaching, visit drbarro.com. And for search services, barrowglobal.com. Remember this trigger tip. Walk down the right fit road and you will win without competing. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, Career Coach One, founder and CEO, Barrow Global Search, Inc. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.